Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Creator, from our Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit, the one who is present wherever you are. So I'm going to tell you that I'm reading this book right now called American Royals. It's by Catherine McGee, and I'm not really sure how I stumbled upon this book, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit I'm reading it because as far as I can tell, it's just a cheesy romance. I've just started. Um, so please do not hear this as a book recommendation. But what I want to say is this. This book has provided me with a nice um, mental escape um, this week. The prologue describes this fictionalized American monarchy. Yep, monarchy. It is uh, the descendants of King George and Queen Martha ruling the country from Washington Palace. So the author writes this in that opening paragraph. Historians love to debate whether in another world things might have gone differently. What if General Washington had refused to become king and asked to be an elected representative instead? A prime minister, perhaps, or maybe he would have made up an entirely new name for that office, like president. Maybe, inspired by America's example, other nations would eventually abolish their own monarchies, giving rise to a new democratic age. But we all know that didn't happen. And you all didn't come here for a made-up story. You came here for the story of what happens next what America looks like 250 years later when the descendants of King George are still on the throne. See what I mean? <laughs> In the middle of this series of actual current events that feel like a page out of a dystopian novel, I've enjoyed allowing my brain to just wander a bit to the what-ifs of another reality. American royals. Now, this is not who we are. We obviously do not have a monarchy. We are, in fact, a part of the current democratic age. Playful wondering and dreaming aside, in today's current reality, these are not flippant words to say this is not who we are. We are grappling with them. This is not who we are. I've heard this phrase many times over the last 10 days. This is not who we are. From both sides of the political aisle, from lawmakers and military officials and ordinary civilian citizens, from friends and family and some of you, this is not who we are. It's been a refrain on repeat. In so many ways, this statement is sort of meant to jerk us back into reality. When we watch an event like the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, the day of Epiphany, we observe and we experience and we feel the gravity of what is taking place. And for most of us, that is dissonant with who we believe ourselves to be as an individual, as a group of people. And it's dissonant with what we should think would happen in our democracy. 
This is not who we are. It becomes a way to sort of um, shame or reprimand or censure bad behavior of another person or a group. This is not who we are says to them, be more like me or be more like us or do things the way that I do them. And then we wouldn't be in this mess. In the middle of the week of hearing this statement so many times, I, hear, I heard one voice that rejected that notion. Sam Sanders is a NPR reporter, and he is the one who said, this in fact is who we are. He was asking his listeners to come to terms with a history of racism in this nation that has built to this very event at our nation's capital. He was asking us not to remain ignorant or complacent or quiet about all of the ways that black and brown and indigenous people of color have experienced violence and oppression and suffering for centuries in this country. Well, so many of us were wringing our hands and saying, this is not who we are. Sam Sanders named an important and personal truth from his perspective as an African-American man. This is who we are. So as we think about this theme that we are taking on during this season of epiphany and this world event, when we say the world is about to turn, we would do well to stop and to consider that statement personally. This is who we are, or this is not who we are. And, and maybe even more personal than that, this is who I am, or this is not who I am. Who are we, the people of God, right now, in the face of or in response to what is happening in our world? So hold that thought in your mind. It's, it's one we will come back to, I promise. But I want to turn to this biblical story for today because I think there is an important connection here. It's kind of a beloved Old Testament story, the story of the young boy Samuel and his teacher, his mentor, his priest, Eli. He's living in the temple and learning from Eli the way of God. Now, one night they have gone to bed and everything is calm and peaceful. And Samuel hears a voice, Samuel, Samuel. So he runs to his teacher, Eli, and he says, here I am. Well, no, 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 Eli says, go back to bed. That, that wasn't me that called you. And three times this happens and three times Samuel pops up and runs to Eli and Eli says, no, no, that wasn't me. Now we, as the, the reader of the story, we know it is the voice of God calling Samuel, but Samuel doesn't know that quite yet. Now, there's a really simple lesson here to learn about listening to the voice of God. But there is more to this story that doesn't often make it into our Sunday school lessons. The story of Samuel and Eli we tell to our children. And the more to the story is one I want to think about today. When Samuel finally knows that it is God that he has been hearing call his name, Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
And when he does that, God speaks to Samuel and gives him a message to deliver that is difficult. Samuel is to go to Eli, the, the longtime priest of this temple. We have already said it is Samuel's own mentor and teacher. And he is to let Eli know that now God is going to punish Eli, to remove him from his place as priest and his sons and remove his whole family from that temple. You can imagine that Samuel might return to bed after receiving that word from God, trembling with fear of having to deliver such a message. Now, it's true. We can dig through the biblical narrative and we can find out that Eli is a pretty terrible leader. His worst offense seems to be that he had no control over his two sons. These two sons, who were also priests in the temple, were known for stealing the very best of the sacrifices made by the people of God at the temple and keeping them for themselves. And what's more, they also were known to rape women of the temple guard. And Eli sat on a throne without compassion instead of leading and serving and ministering to God's people. And so Samuel had to go now and tell him his time was up. So I think two things here are really helpful for us in our context as people of faith, trying to make sense of a time of perhaps failed leadership. First, this, that Eli owns it. He seems to know it is coming. When Samuel delivers this message, he does not make excuses. He does not expect exceptional treatment. He confesses, and he does not hide from the truth. The second thing I think that is important for us is this about Samuel. Samuel does an immensely difficult thing because he has heard a word from God and he is obedient to the task given to him. He does not try to run away from it or hide from it. Now, these are two very hard things for human beings to do, to be held accountable as Eli was and to do the hard thing rather than the easy thing like Samuel was. And maybe these two failures on our part as humans is what we are looking at in the news each and every day right now. When I hear these words, this is not who we are in this context, I can't help but think that it is very much who we are as human beings. A taste of power can lead men and women um, to believe themselves invincible and they will not back down. Sometimes they will even be willing to betray every other thing in their path to get there. They will betray their truth, their character, and even their faith. We've seen it. Many will step on the backs of people um, to get to where they want to be. And even when we hear those ones whose backs are broken from all this being stepped upon, crying out in pain, it's hard to stop because it means accountability and confession and restitution. 
This grappling for power is, is very human. Now, the baptized children of God, we are called to live and to lead in a different kind of way with a different kind of power. That is the power of integrity, humility, and grace. And we see this in Eli's allowing himself to be held accountable and in Samuel's willingness to do the hard thing. God empowered us with the capacity for kindness and generosity and, and wisdom. Being empowered by God in this way, then we can acknowledge our flaws and our failures and it doesn't make us less of a person and we can actually be stronger for having made that admission. Empowered by God in this way, we can do hard things like speak truth to power, lift up the voices of the suffering and oppressed. Being empowered by God in this way, we can set aside ego and ambition and turn to the empowerment of others, the lifting up of those who have not been heard. Being empowered by God is a whole new way of understanding power. And this is what is going to turn the world around. I love this story about a, a man who owned his failure and a boy of great courage to speak. Because I think it paints this picture of the faith God has in us. It is a glimpse of the hope that God has placed within us. Instead of saying, this is not who we are, we might begin to say, this, this is who God created us to be. And I am praying for the will and the strength to live it each and every day of my life. And this, I am convinced is the worldview we need to say that the God is turning the world. So while it might be tempting to look away, to dream of another version of the story or even get lost in a good book about it, we are called to be the people of God in this time and in this place in the world. The children of God is who we are. It's easy to get discouraged or to lose hope. We are never short of examples of failure and a failing ideal. But the gospel truth for you and for me today is this. God does not lose hope in us. God entered the world in human skin in the life of Jesus because God had this deep commitment to humanity. God sees you as worthy of love, worthy of forgiveness, worthy of an overflowing kind of grace. And for this kind of hope given to us, we can't stop saying, thanks be to God. Amen. I just want to end this time with a word of prayer. And I might invite you today to just open up your hands, maybe just lay them on your lap in this open way in, instead of a prayer that's a closed way. Just open them up to see what God is going to place within them. And then pray with me. God, help me listen for your voice today. Forgive me when I get things wrong. Give me courage 
and grace to face hard things. This is who I am, Lord. I humbly offer my life to you. Amen.